Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am so glad that we're having this part of the day together. I love afternoons. I love uh, coming up on Friday. We're looking at the weekend, and I am so incredibly happy. Dr. Mark Musk is my guest in the studio, and he is, uh, after 37 years of being a professor here at the University of Northwestern, he's moved on and is going to uh, officially retire in May, and now he's a retired guy, but he's going to be doing some uh, online teaching, and he'll always continue to be on the show because he signed a 29-year contract with me. Foolishly, yeah, foolishly, that was foolish. Tripled my pay. I did. <laughs> You're now did <laughs> triple nothing. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about retirement. I mean, I know you're not going to slow down much, but um, you are uh, moving to Sioux Falls. Yes. And you're going to be closer to your kids and grandkids, and that's awesome. That's the idea. Yeah. yeah. I don't know yet, Bill. I, f- I don't feel retired. We're still, I know you don't. We got, uh, when, you, when you retire, I'm finding out there's about four or five you know, really important things you have to transition. Mm-hmm. There's health care. Yeah. Uh, there's you know, house location. Um, a lot, lot of things, uh, budgeting things, uh, Social Security, all the stuff. And the government never makes that real easy. Yeah. So it uh, it's challenging. And, uh, yeah, it can be overwhelming. So I really don't feel that retired yet. I get it. Talk to me in mid-October <laughs> when I have my feet up. And Trust I'm, me, I will. And I'm taught, you know, reading my Bible in the morning or something yeah. like that and relaxing. Then I'll yeah. feel retired. Good. I don't feel retired right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, encouraging that your house sold in one day. Yep. Yep. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I and like so, that. Makes yep. it easy. And we've been house hunting and just got back into town here. Today, uh, you pulled I, in at 3 o'clock yeah. from Sioux Falls. So so thank you for uh, making time to be here. I know you said that's they created... That's disclaimer for today, though. If I don't make sense, give me a break. I'm, no, no, no. I'm a little bit on planet 13 right now. That's good. So. That's good. Well, if you have a question for Dr. Mark Muska, this segment is called Ask the Professor. So we've got... Uh, Time for your questions, and I hope lots of good ones come in. You can text them over to 877-933-2484. Maybe you've had a question for months or even years that you've never uh, come to understand. Mark will do his very best to um, shed light on whatever passage you send over. Again, the number is 877-933-2484. Mark, I I love um, um, when... Philip is having an encounter with Jesus, yeah. and Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is, <laughs> it is enough for That's us. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Just give us the Shekinah glory here. And, <laughs> Just uh, show us the Father, then and we're that's good. plenty. Then we're good. Yeah. What is he expecting the result to be <laughs> from this request? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, these guys, uh, you have to remember, this is, the, it's called the upper room discourse in John 13 through 17. This is Jesus' last time with the disciples before he goes to the cross. And he's telling them here that he's leaving them. And that, that, that shakes them up a lot. They are very much anxious about that. And so I can understand Philip here. He is, he's trying to understand. Jesus is just teaching some beautiful stuff here. And he's trying to 
uh, trying to help them understand that he and the Father are one. And so after Philip asks this, you know, show us the Father, it's enough for us in uh, John uh, John 14, 8. Wonderful what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Mm-hmm. That's really the theme of the whole Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. If you want to see who God is, look at Jesus. Right. If you want to understand how God loves, look at the way Jesus loves. I mean, that is overarching, powerful uh, teaching of this Gospel. And it really is, it comes to a head right there mm-hmm. with Philip. So I'm kind of glad he asked it because then we got a really awesome response from Jesus. Mm-hmm. In Romans 16, I've got my... Let's see, I've got it open here. No, I guess I don't. I had it open. Now I don't. If you go to uh, Romans 16. John Acts Romans. Yep. Yeah. Okay. See, you are retired. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, and then go to the first, uh, go to John, I'm sorry, Romans 16. Did you just get off the road? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I just got off the road. No. So I need to make sense. You don't have to. I know. Okay. Um, Any verses yeah. here? No, the first one. Oh. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon, to the church of uh, Centuria. Yeah. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. Mm-hmm. She has been the benefactor for uh, many people, including me. Yep. So uh, is Paul sending with Phoebe this massive piece of theology called Romans? And is she going to be presenting it to the Romans? Is it this... could be that she is delivering it. It may be that she is helping them understand it. So she Almost be... like Bible study leader okay. or something. You know? Would she be possibly reading it out loud? Possibly. Okay. Yeah. I and mean... then with that comes additional questions maybe? Right. Yeah. And he's saying, you know, she and I are one here. You know, whether this is something... Uh, make sure her needs are met, but also uh, uh, listen to her and treat her like you'd treat me. So uh, she's, uh, Phoebe gets argued a lot uh, about this, Bill. I don't know if this is where you're going with this, but when we get into this whole discussion about leadership in the church and men and women involved in leadership, this is one of the passages that's used that it talks about Phoebe as a deaconess here or a servant. The word deacon comes from the language here, diakonos. And mm-hmm. so it's just translated, transliterated. It isn't really defined. But in, in the Bible, it's usually translated as either deacon outright or servant or uh, minister. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so she is serving. She's ministering. She's serving in the church. Now, whether she has an official role of leadership or not, that she's been called to and affirmed by the church as a deacon in the church, that's where we get a lot right. of good discussion sure. going today. And so uh, it's it's one of the key passages that gets uh, involved with this um, the, with this discussion. Mm-hmm. But I, I like it the way uh, Paul, he knows these people. He hasn't been to Rome himself with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's got her here. Uh, she is, um, is going to be uh, somebody here. Uh, that uh, and, and by the way, Centuria is just outside of Corinth. Okay, and it's a pretty good idea here that he probably wrote this from Corinth, and so this it may be that she then is the messenger that mm-hmm. brings this. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of pieces there. It, it, I, I like to tease. It's like a jigsaw puzzle where you only got about half the pieces, and so you can put together some of it, but there's some blank spots sure. that we just can't be sure about. Sure. So let's say we're sitting around the campfire mm-hmm. and got some s'mores out, maybe a marshmallow or two. And somebody says, hey, Uncle Mark, uh, why do you think 
the Paul's letter to Philemon is in Scripture? What do you think is the big takeaway point oh, from that? The, the, uh, the main reason is, is because he wrote it and uh, he had this apostolic authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so I'm of the school that thinks that any writing of Paul's that could be uh, authenticated, yeah. have a reasonable sense of assurance that he wrote it, yeah. uh, should, I would agree too. should be uh, included in the New Testament. What do you think is our big takeaway point from that letter? The letter, I like it because it's, it's so personal. He is, uh, there's a whole drama going on behind mm-hmm. Philemon. First of all, Paul, Paul is most likely writing this from Rome, where it's uh, the passage that we read right at the end of the book of Acts. In Acts 28, Paul has been sent to Rome by the Roman uh, governors in, Pal- uh, in uh, Israel, and he's to stand before Caesar. He, as a Roman citizen, he has the right to plead his case to Caesar himself. And so when things aren't going so well for him in, Jer- in uh, Judea, he says, I appeal to Caesar, and I think, it, which one is it? I get them mixed up, Felix or Festus. Uh, uh, Felix says to him, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you'll go. So he goes, he's in Rome, but he's under arrest. However, in Acts 28, it tells us he's under house arrest, and mm-hmm. he's able to have people come and go, oh. and he can and, and visit with them and have audiences with them. So it's not like he's in a dungeon. Okay, That probably came later. But anyway, this is one of the four letters that is called the prison letters because he uh, says in the letter that he's a prisoner. Uh, that four prison letters are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And if you look at the beginning of Philemon in verse 1, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those letters. But there's a drama that's going on here that Philemon appears to be a leader in the church at Colossae. So he writes a a letter to the church, Colossians, and he writes a personal letter to this leader in the church, Philemon. And what appears to have happened, and again, we don't have all the pieces to this, so we got to, you know, speculate a little bit. It appears as though Philemon had a servant by the name of Onesimus, a slave, mm-hmm. a servant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Onesimus took off on him, and he might have even robbed him, taken some of his goods, and he left. And providentially, Onesimus ends up in Rome, providentially, he gets exposed to Paul, and mm-hmm. God opens his heart, yeah. and he becomes a follower of Jesus. Paul talks about him being his son. You know, He's got a very fond affection. So what he does is he sends, apparently, Onesimus back to Colossae with the letter of Colossians and Philemon's, and in the letter, he's appealing to Philemon to take Onesimus back. Including, I will pay for whatever he did. Right. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. It is. And... He says that I wish I could have kept him in Rome, but I didn't want to presume upon your goodness, Philemon, that, that he's your servant, and so I'm sending him back to you. But he says to him, now, don't treat him uh, just as a slave, but as a brother in Christ, that now that, uh, that what barrier has been broken mm-hmm. between master and slave. The most important thing about them is that they are brothers in Christ now. And I like that a lot to say we have all kinds of... What kind of world are we living in, Bill? It's, it's so divided. Mm-hmm. Uh, racial, ethnic, sex, uh, slave master, employment, education, uh, intelligence, all this stuff. 
And for Christians, I like using Philemon as a rallying cry to say, the number one thing that identifies us, we are united in Christ as brothers and sisters, and all that other stuff takes a distant second place. And so I like this book a lot. <laughs> nice, nice. In the New Testament, it's nice. just a little spit thing. If you don't, it is. If you don't, if you're not careful, you're going to zip it. right over it into Hebrews, and right. you're going to miss it. But right. it's there. And I love verse twenty-two. Mark it says, "And one thing more: prepare a guest room for me, because, yes, because I hope to be restored to in answer to your prayers." Mm-hmm. So, and it does appear that Paul was. Uh, acquitted by Caesar. Oh, good. In oh, Rome. That was my question. <laughs> well, and he was. Uh, I, but this is where it leaves off. The book of Acts okay. ends, and it says Paul is preaching Jesus unhindered in Rome. Mm. But then it doesn't tell us whether he was let go. But then we have other letters that are called the pastoral letters of First and Second Timothy and Titus. That it appears as though Paul was released and he dropped. Timothy off in Ephesus and Titus on the island of Crete, and he may have gone as far as Spain to continue to proclaim the gospel. But then he was rearrested, and it appears from Second Timothy he knows he's going to die soon. Mm-hmm. He's in a dungeon now, and he's saying, "I've you know I've finished the race, I've run the course," yeah. and so he's he appears to know he's he's not going to live much longer. Mm-hmm. So. It's a fascinating tale. You know, there's the, that series we love about The Chosen, about Jesus. It's so fantastic. I wish somebody would do a multi-season TV series on Paul's life, too. I would I would love to talk it, more about Paul. I'm so fascinated. It is just such an I intriguing, know. powerful character. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Dr. Yeah. Mark Musk is my guest. Ask the Professor is what we're doing this full hour. Let me know what your questions are. Send them over. Text 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933. 332484 You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope and clarity in a special repeat performance. So glad to have my friend Dr. Mark Muska with me even if we're just hanging out. I like this hour. It's fun. Uh, yeah great for me who doesn't like getting into god's word I, I i love it so and you are so gracious to be here and make time i don't know how busy you are so thank you yeah hey, uh, you know now what? that you're retired before i forget i gotta give a shout out to my three grandsons okay chaos disaster and mayhem <laughs> jonah yeah baby i'm i'm hearing you i hope you're good he's the number one uh-huh. and ezra uh, number two uh, f- four years old and and gideon rules the earth at uh, two years old yeah we got the prophet, the priest, and the judge. Perfect. In the family. Yeah. Those boys are life givers. Might so, they be listening right now? Yeah. Yes. Oh, awesome. And listen to your mother. Exactly. Exactly. That's good wisdom yeah. over the year. All right. Here's a question, Dr. Muska. I have a question for my sister. She cannot wrap her mind around why a good God would make a world where there's all this evil. Yeah. And I told her about free will in the garden and all that, but... Like she said, if he knew all this was going to happen, why would he have created it in the first place? Yeah, and uh, boy, I sure wish I had a nice answer for that. I know. I could. I know. I was hoping this would fill a couple minutes. Write a book and and make my millions uh, talking about it. We split something. But uh, that, uh, uh, I can just start off by saying whatever kinds of answers that you're pursuing will always leave questions unanswered. Mm hmm. That there's this is uh, 
I like to tease people. It's We bump our head on the ceiling. The truth of God and the reality of his ways is out there in the stars, but we're limited by this ceiling over our head, and we can only get so far. So uh, why, uh, if he if he knew all this, why did he do it in the first place? Uh, well, you know, he knows more than you know about how he's going to deal with it all and the glory that's going to come for those who have been redeemed by him, where he's shown his graciousness and his compassion to us. If there was no evil in the world, I don't know if there'd ever be a need for God's mercy to be shown. We wouldn't understand that about him or his his grace to do things for us that we don't deserve. So, uh, I mean, that's not satisfying, but it's helpful mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah. just point those kind of things out. If you look at any major work that's been done in Christian apologetics, you all know what that is. Christian apologetics, it doesn't mean you're apologizing all the time, telling you're sorry to everybody. Uh, it's based on the word apologia, which means to defend. And these are people who defend the faith. They answer questions about Christianity. And I don't care who you talk about, all the big ones out there, uh, Josh McDowell, Norman Geisler, all these guys that have studied these things, none of them have a satisfactory answer for okay. it. But they're helpful. They, you don't have to just sit here and stew because they can give you things where you'll go, oh, you know, I didn't think about that. That helps, you know, mm-hmm. but it doesn't resolve all the questions. And they'd be the first ones that would admit that. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's the Lee Strobel? Just fantastic stuff that Lee yeah. has done. There's just tremendous resources yeah. out there for those kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Gary Habermas, there's all kinds of good yeah. good thinkers out there. But you talk about really famous people and they have rejected Christianity. And number one reason out there usually is this thing about evil. They just can't resolve it and it bugs them to the point where they turn their back on God. What I say to people is don't doubt what you know in the light. Don't let the questions and the shadows from the questions cast a shadow on what you do know about God. Amen. I can't figure out all of this about his foreknowledge and his will and the evil and his greater glory and all that. But he has demonstrated his love in my life and his mercy. And he's done that for you, Rosie. And he's done that for you, Bill. And that's what we hold on to. And we don't let this other stuff cast a shadow on it. That's, so. that's pretty sharp thinking coming from a guy who just drove from Sioux Falls this morning. Well, I'm mostly in a fog, so there's not much <laughs> shadow here. What is the drive? How many hours? About uh, four and a half hours. That's not awful. People make it at under four, but then I question whether the police pulled them over a couple yeah. times, too. Yeah, good so point. Good point. It's always nice to All right, drive. I'm going to jump over to the book of James in okay. chapter one. Okay. And does James, is he the only one that uses the imagery of being uh, blown and tossed by the wind? That's one hmm. question. Another one I have is, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, so if we're praying for wisdom, how should we expect to receive it? Um, the main way, I mean, this sounds so Sunday school, but it's still true, is the main thing is through God's Word. Amen. Oh, that's where I was hoping you'd go. Well, he gets to this in... Uh, Uh, Chapter 3, where he talks about the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. Uh, He says, uh, let me just read some of it. Uh, James 3, uh, 13, he says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Where where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. And now, verse 17, really good. 
but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's almost as good as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, yeah, you know, so to good. say. But notice, these are character traits that he's connecting with the idea of wisdom from above. So if you want to know the wisdom, you know, that wisdom literature in the Old Testament wasn't written to sit on grandma's coffee table <laughs> in the living room and gather dust. <laughs> it's been meant to, re- to read it. And Amen. so... Uh, read the wisdom of the Bible. James is kind of the book of Proverbs of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of wise stuff in yeah, here. Yeah, no kidding. So you want the wisdom of God, read his word. Start yeah. with that. If you want the wisdom of Dr. Mark Muska, send the yeah. questions over. You will get it. 877-933-2484. Again, text only. 877-933-2484. Here's a title question, Mark. Okay. Uh, can you please talk about the practice of calling someone father or reverend? Yeah, that's a tough one. Paul calls some of the people in his letters, he calls them fathers, you know, be patient with your children and that. So it's not like it's a dirty word. Okay. There's another F word out there that we don't use, and father isn't the one. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's not like it's wrong. A lot of people, though, they get, uh, they, they're troubled, I should say, when they hear ministers being called father. Mm-hmm. And then the other word you were... Reverend. Yeah, reverend. Mm-hmm. Reverend isn't so bad. Uh, usually the word reverend is used for someone who's been officially ordained mm-hmm. into the ministry. That uh, That is a title that is is okay. Now, does that mean they're revered? Well, I hope they have enough humility to point toward Jesus when it right. starts about revere. You know, okay, uh, just don't look at me too much. Look at Jesus over there. He's the one to be feared and revered. But Reverend, I don't have a problem with that. But uh, some people, uh, the, the thing with Father uh, just eats at them. Uh, one of the main reasons for that is uh, Jesus in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. I hope I can locate it quickly here, but he... Uh, he talks about not calling people on earth here father. Uh, oh, boy. I might have to look for this for a little bit here. But um, you look, and then I think we'll take a break. and We'll yeah. come back. You may or may not have an answer for that, but that's good. I hope I do. I hope you do, too. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. And if you uh, would like to share a part of your uh, story, your daily journey with God, we'd love to hear your story. Um, so if Faith Radio has just become a part of your everyday uh, journey with God, you can share how God is using Faith Radio to encourage you and help you grow. And you can uh, learn more about that at MyFaithRadio.com. We're also having our summer bundle, which is our biggest book giveaway ever. We have so many books, and we put them all together by categories. And the one that we're giving away uh, this week is the Marriage and Family Bundle, so you learn to serve and communicate and honor your marriage and family. All you have to do is sign up and you might win a book bundle. And you can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. So send your questions over. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, don't uh, don't hesitate. Don't fear. We would love to hear your questions. 877-933-2484. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. This is called Ask the Professor. Be right back.
You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. Drive, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. You might be jumping into your car. My guest just jumped out of his car mm-hmm. after four and a half hours on the road. He got here just in time to be on the show. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest, and it is Ask the Professor time, so send your questions over. Text them to 877-933-2484. Mark, we finally found the passage in yeah. Matthew, didn't we? Well, we were talking about that thing about calling people reverend yes. or calling yes. them father. Yes. And I thought it was Matthew 6. I was close. It was Matthew, at least. It was Matthew 23 when Jesus is speaking uh, here uh, toward the end of the book, and he's really uh, given it to the Jewish leaders at this time. He just hammers the Pharisees here in Matthew 23. And so the verse I was thinking about is Jesus says here in Matthew 23, 9, Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And so that has caused a lot of people to get shook up about calling certain clergymen Sure. Father this, father that, sure. and that. But then you got to read the rest of the passage because what he's getting at here is it's not so much for you and me, it's for these leaders that he wants to call into check to say, if you're reveling in the title Father, because he's got other things to say here as well. He talks about the Pharisees, they love the, 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 the best seats in the banquets and the respectful greetings they get. And he throws on a few other ones in here besides Father. He says in verse 7, Respectful greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by men, but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Rabbi means teacher. Mm-hmm. So don't do not do that one either. And then he says, Father, in verse 9, verse 10, do not be called leaders, he says, or teachers, for one is your leader. That is Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. So this is more to get after those so-called leaders in Judaism at this time. But it's just as applicable to the church and to the kingdom of God now. Uh, This is a a great calling uh, uh, to any who aspire to any kind of leadership in the church that uh, we like to call this servant leadership in the church. But in my opinion, that that term has been corrupted as well. and, And we lose this as far as the the place of a leader in the church, uh, that is for uh, Jesus Christ to be given that title, a father, teacher, rabbi. Mm -hmm. All right, Mark, here's a question. This is a forgiveness question that I've wondered about for, especially every time I hear someone going on a shooting spree and killing innocent people, I find it difficult that we are expected to forgive yeah. I'm talking about if someone commits murder. Mm. I don't believe I would be able to forgive someone. And why would we be expected to forgive? I know Jesus forgave those who crucified him, but we are not like Jesus. Yeah, that is such a tough question. It is tough. And you know, Bill, you better be able to distinguish between the rational intellectual discussion of this and the pain and the emotion and the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we're tempted to be Bible answer man and just give people nice, clean cut little answers and they're wounded. They're hurting because of this. So there's, there's really a place for uh, comfort and assurance and not just thinking, 
that you can just spout off these answers. On the other hand, though, there's a lot of hurting people that have had things like this happen, and all they receive is the comfort and the hugs and the kisses and everything like that. And you know what? They want they want the truth, and that's one of the most important uses of the truth, of theology, of the teaching of the Scripture, is to bring comfort to people who want answers for these tough questions. And sometimes we forget that. Uh, you want to you want to know why your baby died yeah. for no reason. And uh, where's God when that happens? It's not enough to throw your arm around him and give him a big hug. So this thing about forgiveness, first of all, I'm going to quote what Corey Ten Boom's dad told her about whether she said she'd ever have enough courage to die for Jesus and really suffer because of the Nazis and all this kind of thing. And he said, well, Corey, you know, if you're going to go on a train trip next year, when do you get the ticket? Do you get it now? No, you get it next year. And so if you have to face that kind of thing, God will give you the strength when the time comes for it. And you may not feel like you have it now to be able to withstand that kind of agony Mm -hmm. of some horrible evil being mm-hmm. done like what happened in Evalde there yeah. uh, in that mass shooting. So I, I just want to start with that to say we have to trust the Lord. He is going to give us the enablement and the power to be able to extend to people forgiveness uh, even if they don't deserve it. The passage that immediately came to mind for me is Jesus again in Matthew 18, just a terrific passage where Peter kicks the whole thing off in Matthew 18, verse 21. He says, Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall I, my brother, sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Peter thought he was being pretty magnanimous there. You know, seven times forgive the guy. And Jesus says to him, "Uh, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. My math says 490 times there. (laughs) And I don't think Jesus is saying put a chalkboard in the kitchen on the wall there and start counting them up. You know, he's saying uh, you, you just keep forgiving. And he tells a superb parable here about a master who has a slave that a servant that owes him 10,000 talents of, of uh, silver of, or of gold. 10,000 talents built, that's like several hundred million dollars. You know, Jesus is using extrapoli- or hyperbole here. He's exaggerating for the point of saying this servant owes his master more than he could ever pay back. But then listen to what happens here. It says that the man did not have the means to repay. His, his Lord commanded him. I'm in verse 25. He commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before the master, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. And that word forgive there, it has embedded in it the word as a gift. He forgave him as a gift. Mm. He didn't earn it. This is a gift to him. Charizomai is the word there. He forgave him the debt. But then look what this guy does. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. That's about three months' wages. So that's a significant amount of money. It's not even close to 10,000 talents, though. And seized him and said, pay it back. The guy, exact same words that he used with the master. His slave, fellow slave says, has patience with me and I'll repay you. But he's unwilling. He threw him in prison. So the Lord finds this out and he calls back that first slave and he says, you wicked slave. I forgive that great debt, and you wouldn't forgive your fellow servant of this thing. And the whole point of that, Bill, is that 
Why do we forgive anybody? Because we have been given, we have ourselves been forgiven such a great sin debt that we could never repay. And so even though it's not easy, we extend it because this is, that doesn't mean we let people take advantage of us. That still may mean that reconciliation with people may be another step that needs to be taken. But, oh, man, you know, in light of the great sin debt that God has forgiven me, I can extend it. And, you know, there's great testimonies of this with people that uh, have had beastly kinds of evil things happen to their family. I remember this happened a few years ago right here in the Twin Cities, and I'm not going to try to quote too much of it because I can't remember the details. But there was a terrible traffic accident where these three sisters were killed Mm -hmm. in this accident. It was a, a drunken driving, I believe. And the parents forgave this guy. They were able to do this. They extended that forgiveness. They still were grieved. They still didn't understand why it happened. There was all kinds of other things and healing that had to come. But they forgave the man. That distinguishes us as Christians. The only way we can do that is to realize we have been forgiven like that. Uh, I think I've used this quote before on the show, but I just love it by Lewis Smead's He wrote a a book on forgiveness, and he says, when you forgive someone, you release a prisoner only to discover the prisoner was you. Oh, wow. And man, does that hit it on the head. Because someone who's going to hold this resentment and bitterness against some evil shooter like this, the shooter's already poisoned, but it's going to poison you. It's going to make something awful out of you. And Mm -hmm. so give it away. Get, Get rid of it. Don't hang on to it. It will poison you. You release a prisoner only to discover the prisoner was you. Mm, So good. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor. Text your questions at 877-933-2484. When we were talking, Mark, about James Mm. chapter 1, about being blown and tossed by the wind, I didn't know if it was anywhere else. And an astute listener named Michael said it's also in Ephesians Uh, I just thought I'd throw that out there and say, Michael, thank you for that. It's in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 14. Mm -hmm. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Isn't that a great metaphor? That is Just being tossed around and not not be solid. It reminds me of the end of the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 7, where Jesus talks about building your house on the rock that when the storm comes and the wind blows, it's established. And everybody likes to think of that rock being Jesus. You know, on the solid rock I stand, all other rocks. That Jesus is the solid rock. But if you look at the parable, he's saying, the one who builds it on the solid rock, this is the person who hears my word and acts upon it. And the person who hears it but doesn't act on it is like the one who built on the sandy soil and it gets blown away. Mm -hmm. So uh, we build that. We build that foundation of not just hearing God's word, but putting it into practice. And that's what gives us that strength when the storms come. Did I say if the storms come? Yeah. No, I said when the storms come. When the storms come, they will come. Yeah, indeed. Question mark. My son-in-law is a Seventh-day Adventist. Mm -hmm. He states, Jesus said, obey my commandments and you will be blessed. Meaning Jesus, uh, meaning keep Sabbath Saturday holy, attending church on Saturday only. Mm-hmm. Jesus' commandments are not Mosaic commandments, right? Jesus' commandments are to love God first and neighbor, right? Yeah, well, we we get into a lot of discussions about the place of the Old Testament law in the church and in the New Covenant era 
that was inaugurated by Jesus with his death. And, boy, I'm not going to figure all that out here this afternoon. There's a lot of issues that come out of this, but one of these is the Sabbath. And so uh, I have great respect for my Seventh-day Adventist friends. I think that uh, uh, some theologians disagree with me on this, but I think we're going to spend eternity with most of those people because they have depended on Jesus to take away their sin through his death on the cross. Mm -hmm. And so we still might not be able to disagree on all these other issues, though, about the place of the law in in the Christian faith. And so I respectfully disagree with them. I do not see the Sabbath emphasized at all for the church in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. In fact, Paul even seems to speak disparagingly about observing days and months and seasons and years in the book of Colossians. He doesn't come right out and say the word Sabbath there, but uh, boy, it's, it's uh, nudges right up close to it. And so... Uh, but I hope we can have a respectful discussion about this, and uh, uh, I, I, I just uh, I don't see this. Uh, the, the, one of the chief traits of the Christian New Covenant is liberty in Christ, where we don't have these stipulations out there that we are to, uh, we are to follow. Christianity is mostly unregulated, that the way we live our lives, we have the freedom to live it the way we choose to live it. We're given guidance, though, on how to use that to love others, to witness to non-Christians, to glorify God. So it's not like we just go out and uh, party every night and get drunk and all that. We use that freedom to honor our Lord and Master, the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, that is a that is a distinction of Christianity, and I, I hope we can maintain it. Yeah, me too. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. We'll take a break. When we come back, we have time for a few more questions. Text them over, 877-933-2484. Thank you for all the great questions that have come in so far. You are thinking, you know your Bible, and you ask great questions. So I encourage you to send them over, 877-933-2484. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. That is walk-up music for Dr. Mark Muska, and he just deflated in his chair. He's Apollo right now, which I like. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah. It's the best. Thank you, Mark, for being here. Yeah. Here's a question. Uh, if I just talk to God during the day in my mind, is it okay without being formal? Oh, my word. Isn't that a great question? I love that question. I got three answers for that. Okay. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> All right? Yeah. We, you know, I love formalized prayers in certain contexts because they can express things that we have trouble putting into words ourselves. So the Lord's Prayer is awesome for that, to say, yeah, Lord, forgive me as I forgive others. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and that. But you know what? Sometimes the formalized stuff, it freezes in place and it just paralyzes us. Prayer, I I think it's a four-letter word now that it's been so distorted. It means you're communicating with God. 
And that can be in a whole lot of different ways. One of the assignments I give in one of my classes, Bill, is I tell the students for a week, only spend about five, six minutes doing this, but talk to God and be as honest with you can with him yeah. about what's going on. No holds barred. And, you know, they write a little journal where they talk about it, and it's almost like I asked them how to, to stand on their head and whistle Dixie at the same time. They, they get they get so uptight. I thought I was supposed to fold my hands and close my eyes and, sh- and, and bow my head and everything, and it, it took them, usually it takes them three, four days to just get it. Yeah. And so uh, I'm a both and all of the above kind of person. Talk to God all the time. Let him know what's going on. Uh, another ex- exercise I give them that they really hate me for is I also ask them to pray without asking God for anything. Amen to that. Now, I'm they a big may, fan of that. They may have big needs, but talk to God about them. Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, Lord, help me on this next test. Why not say, oh, Lord, you know, I got this test coming up, but I'm trusting you that you're going to help me and that I'm going to get through this and I'll get I'll get my grade in this class. Now you're talking to a friend, and it's not just some cosmic vending machine right. in the sky. Gimme, right. gimme, 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 gimme. Right. So that, I mean, people are going to get mad at me, but hear me clearly. I like the formalized prayers as well. The Bible's full of them, but that's not the only way to communicate with your Heavenly Father. Yeah. Mark, you played college baseball? I did. I know you were a pitcher, weren't you? I did. Let me ask you this question. Do you play t-ball with your grandkids? Well, that's kind of fun because number one is in his second year at T-ball now. So, or next, actually, it's not T-ball. Second year is uh, coach pitch. Okay. Where they just kind of lob it in there yeah. and let the kids whack it. Uh, that's number one. Number two is in his first year at T-ball. And so they're, and, and uh, so your question is, do I do that with them? Well, the question was, because if you answered yes, it would be a segue into my next question for you, which oh. is a T-ball question. Okay. I get it. I, I've experienced T-ball in Sioux Falls watching my two grandsons. <laughs> and it right. is it is more fun than any comedy act on earth to <laughs> just watch the phenomenon going on in the stands and in on right. the field. All right. Here's your T-ball question. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Isn't the gospel just wonderful? Mm-hmm. That's the question. Okay. Isn't yes. that easy? Yeah. Yeah. You completely left me behind. I know. I know. All right. Okay. Here's another one. Are we okay to ask for a miracle as long as our hearts are in alignment with God? Well, that's why we ask, say at the end of the thing, in Jesus' name, amen. Right. Isn't it? Yeah. That, again, that's kind of the formal thing. You just don't feel like you prayed until you say, in Jesus' name, amen. Everybody knows you're done when you say, in Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm. We have just so formalized that. But when you say in Jesus' name, I think that's what you're supposed to be communicating. That, Lord, everything above there that I just said, I want it to be in alignment with what you have for me. So I'm praying in your name because I want it to be yours. And you said that you would answer me if I would pray in accordance with your will for me. And so it's a, a shorthand way of saying that, in Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm. So you bet. When we were talking about this person that goes on a gun rampage and kills innocent people, yes. and it's so hard to forgive, Yes, is it not, a comment was made, is it not true that unforgiveness will keep people out of heaven because God forgives only as far as we do? Well, that is right there in that Matthew passage that I read, mm-hmm. because at the end of that, I didn't read it, but it's right there. Because Jesus says, so uh, so will your father do to you. Because it says that God, ta- uh, that master takes that first servant and he puts him in jail 
and turns him over to the torturers until he can repay everything that he's had. And then at the end of it, he says, so it will be for you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Mm-hmm. And so now that sounds like work salvation. You know, everything's contingent about what you do. But I, I take that to mean Jesus is saying at the very core of the gospel is this idea of forgiveness, that you have been forgiven this great sin debt. And if you don't get that enough to realize, to let go of these things with others, you're, you're, you're close to the kingdom, like he said to Nicodemus, but you're not really there. That's, you gotta, you got to work on that. Mm-hmm. Bill, in my opinion, forgiveness, the two words I think that are most abused and most assumed that we understand what they are, are forgiveness and faith, the two F words. Yeah. And that we have a lot of work to do in the church to get past the jargon, all the figures of speech that we use for this, and to really understand what that means to forgive someone or to put your faith in the gospel. Uh, that, that we are all over the place with that. You know, I listened to Billy Graham, one of his old uh, YouTube things, you know, that they put on. Yeah. Where it was about 1975 or something like that. And he just hammered it on faith. I was so excited that he just spelled it all out there. This isn't enough of just saying yes to Jesus. You have to do more. There is there is a dependence on Jesus that he's going to take and rescue you. You know, it was just well done. Oh, so I like that. But so much of the time we... We we codify it and, and flower it up with all kinds of flowery expressions and figures of speech. Cast yourselves upon the mercies of God. Uh, that's true, but what the heck does it mean? Mm. What am I doing? Where do I jump? You know, I, I don't understand. Yeah. You have to explain it. Yeah. All right, Mark. So God says if we pray in his will, he will give us the desires of our heart. This is hard when I pray fervently for my family to come to know the Lord as I do believe it it is his will for Mm. all to come to him. This is also my desire. Why does it seem it's not going to happen? And then I question, has God hardened their hearts, which I hear them talk about in the Old Testament? You talk about a painful thing, people you love and you care about, and they just won't. I had a dear friend of mine who just talked with his son, and his son told him he doesn't believe in God. God, it's just breaking his heart. I bet. So this whole thing about it, Bill, we can't sort all that out. We don't understand the counsels of God and how he works in the hearts of people and the timing of all of this. He sees the front from the back. We can just live it day by day. We're stuck here in July 15th, 2022 right now, and we don't know what's coming tomorrow or two days from now or five years from now and that, and God does. So, again, I just wrap it up with a nice little bow on top and give it to him and say, I'm not going to try to figure this out because I'm just going to get angry because I can't figure it out. And it's like chasing your tail round and round and round and round and you don't get anywhere. And so uh, I continue to take him at his word. We pray in Jesus' name, putting it before him. He says it's his will for these people to be saved. So I leave it there with you, God, and Mm -hmm. I just have to trust you. Mm -hmm. Man. So good. There's still so many questions coming in, Mark. Is there really? Yeah, there oh. really are. Uh, and I don't know how quickly you can answer this one, but can you describe the Apocrypha and why it is acceptable to Catholics but not Protestants? No, I can't do that in I didn't think three so. minutes. See it, what I mean? I got questions like this coming in. But it's a really interesting it historical is. question. Yeah. I would say to this person who's asking that, Bill, uh, do a Google search on that. Not necessarily just Wikipedia. Wikipedia can be biased one way or another. 
it depends on that. But that goes across about 15 centuries about how that worked itself out. It gets the Jews involved with the Old Testament mm-hmm. and then the early church fathers and how they saw it and then how Martin Luther got in the act in the 1500s and then the Catholic response to that uh, in the late 1500s. So it, it's really quite a story. But, wow, I don't know if you can explain right. it. 40 so. more seconds, Mark. What happens with believers after they die and when non-believers die, where do they go from there? Yeah, the the hints we get, it's not uh, totally spelled out for us. But I like what Paul says in Second Corinthians 5. I'm dependent on it where he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That we close our eyes for the last time, we will open them, and we will behold our Savior. I'm I'm counting on that. Yeah. Paul said that is very much better to die and to go be with Christ. Not so much for those who die apart from Christ. Yeah, right. The picture is not pretty. Please don't die apart from Christ. Please don't. That is the most important decision you will ever make. And if today you're listening on the on the show and you are just hearing this, uh, maybe God led you to this program today and you are hearing for the first time your need to come to faith and to get right with God, p- please stop your car, pull it over, and ask Jesus to be your Savior. Repent of your sin and ask for your heart and eyes to be open to his word that you may follow him. Give him your allegiance and put your faith and hope in him. And we pray, Lord, that you'd bring people across these persons' paths to help them to grow, that love you and can guide them. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Great to be with you. Yeah. Yeah, I made it here. I thought I I was going to go crazy here. I'm tired. All right. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.